we're, we're learning, without further ado, Hashem Svasai Teftach Hashem should help us that our learning should be not just um, learning of the, of the head, but also learning of the heart, and also learning of the, of the neshama, that we should grow in our Vodas Hashem, not just in our understanding of a new concept or, or two. Hopefully we'll have that happen too. But um, that we should learn how to properly do tshuva, which is, as we're going to learn, one of the most beautiful and wonderful and life-affirming uh, upgrades that we, can, that we can take. Tshuva gets a, a bad rep. Tshuva is normally associated with some sort of uh, darkness, not usually with gummy bears and, uh, and other types of... You know, you don't eat candy while you're talking about tshuva. Amen. But in the world of Rav Kook, tshuva is the greatest candy that Hashem could have ever given us. And um, I would love... I don't have any anticipation or expectations of anybody who's joining here this evening, whether uh, online or here, to necessarily be here. But if you are going to be here, um, we hope to do this through the winter at least, um, how lovely and kedai it would be that if people had a text so that you could also, A, you could write in it and you could, you know, I love to write in my, in my own books and, and also that I shouldn't just be the only one here reading. We're going to read through it inside and Maybe some people already own it, and if not, then we could probably buy a few of them for rather cheap. You know, they, they even sell just the Orsa Tshuva as a, as a standalone 10 shekel, 15 shekel. I think it's not a big uh, commitment. Okay, so we actually started the Sefer. We had a number of introductory shirim about um, a letter that Rav Kook had written to his Talmud, Rav Yaakov Moshe Harlap, and those are all online, and that was uh, the last season of Orsa Tshuva. And we also read the Hakdama to Ursa Tshuva that Rav Kook wrote, and we also started the first parak, but we didn't get so far into it. And so I just want to take a minute to review what we were talking about in the first parak, which really is the beginning of Rav Kook's uh, journey into Tshuva and taking us with him, holding our hand the whole way. So Rav Kook describes that Tshuva could be split up into three general categories. There are three general types of Tshuva. One type of Tshuva is called Tshuva Tivit, or Tshuva Tivis, uh, natural tshuva, and we spoke quite a bit about that. I think uh, at least one, maybe two shirim, just on that alone. The concept of tshuva tivis, largely, we won't read it inside right now, is associated with, you know, um, Rav Kook said there are two different types of that. There's tshuva tivis, and this is probably rather startling for, for some of us. When a person drinks spoiled milk, sorry to go to that place, when you drink spoiled milk and you spit it out because it tastes gross, that's tshuva, tshuva tivis. You took something negative inside of you and your body said no, and it got rid of it right away. Tshuva tivis is the feeling that when something is not right in the body um, or in the emotions, we are in the house of a renowned psychologist, so when, when something's not right on the inside, you, you feel something's off, something doesn't feel right physically, something doesn't feel right emotionally, there's a visceral reaction. And the same thing is true on the level of the soul, that there's a certain level of relationship to right and wrong, which is innate, which is inborn. And um, a person doesn't have to be taught when they're a young child that when the young man or woman, when the young girl or boy in, in Ghan comes over and you know, whacks you over the head and takes your toy and you start crying and you realize that doesn't feel good, there's something wrong about that. Nobody sat you down and said, listen, let me tell you about justice and about ownership of property 
and let me tell you about law section C75 and, you know, that you're not allowed to take someone else's... It's that, that's not how it works. There's something innate, even before you're taught about right and wrong, that feels like when something is not being done that is not exactly in line with certain spiritual you know, uh, underpinnings of reality, you feel it innately. And Rav Kook says that that's a very complicated form of tshuva. And that's really where we kind of left off. We ventured a little bit into the second type of tshuva, just to go through the other two very quickly. There's tshuva emunis, tshuva emunit, um, which means faith-based tshuva, to believe that there's tshuva, which is largely based on the idea that there's a commandment for tshuva. Meaning even if I don't feel uh, a need to recalibrate a need to do something differently. There's clear commands in the Torah, and not only a command, but as we'll talk about tonight, I hope, there's also a promise of tshuva. There's a faith in tshuva that is something that you need to be taught. That is something that we need to believe in, and someone needs to reveal to us that such a thing exists because it's somewhat counterintuitive, and again, we'll, we'll talk about that tonight. And the third type of tshuva, which we hopefully will also, but I always get ahead of myself and maybe we won't get there tonight, the third type of tshuva is not tshuva tivis, not tshuva emunis, but tshuva sichlis. And that's the highest level of tshuva for Rav Kook. And that's the most mysterious part of tshuva, and that's a little bit hard to even describe what it is and how it's different than tshuva tivis or emunis. But we'll, we'll save that for now to read it inside. It's something akin to a mixture of the two of them, which is, like I said, it's a little misubach. So we'll, we'll, get, there. we'll get there soon. Just to close up with the idea of Tshuva Tivis. So one of the pitfalls of Tshuva Tivis that some of the students of Rav Kook have pointed to in why it's kind of put as the bottom rung of the three-story building of Tshuva that Rav Kook is building here for us and that he elaborates throughout the entire Sefer Orsa Tshuva is that Tshuva Tivis is very egocentric. It's very selfish. Tshuva Tivis means that I, something is hurting me. It hurts me. And so I want to correct this. Now, it could be that this tshuva tivis happens on a communal level sometimes as well. It sometimes could happen on a national level. It could happen on a cosmic level. It could happen when, you know, when, uh, I'm not getting political or saying exactly how this works, but when the, when the climate seems out of control. So that's the world screaming, something is not right. Who's going to fix it? You know, let's leave me out of it. But when, when the world is not, when something's not right, we feel it, and we feel it strong, but it's all aiming at there's discomfort here, at me, at us, at larger us, at the global us. And therefore, there's something about it which lacks, um, that lacks a, a God awareness. And that's okay, but that also makes it a baseline level of tshuva. I'll share a story to kind of like try to bring this down a little bit. Rav Salvechik, the Ruv, Rav Salvechik, uh, one time walked into a room adjacent to the main base medrash in Yeshiva University and saw a student who was sitting and was involved in what I guess would be one of the regular routine practices of Bali Musr, people who are trying to get in touch with the deepest part of correcting their inner ethical qualms. And he walked into the room and he saw a young college student at the time, uh, which is pretty remarkable. This was going on in America at the time. But he saw a young college student who was, I guess, somehow enamored with the, with the Muslim movement, who was sitting in the room and saying, oh, I'm such a 
I'm such a sinner, I've done this wrong, and I've done this wrong, and oh, and, you know, and I have this shortcoming, and I have this shortcoming. And Rav Salavichik was kind of just like quietly watching him for a few minutes. And part of the Musr movement is kind of like repeating these mantras over and over again and doing it in a very impassioned kind of way. And Salavichik was kind of watching. And afterwards, he mentioned to one of his Talmidim, who then wrote it down in a book, which is why we know the story, that Rav Salavichik said... I just, I couldn't get over the fact that this fellow just kept on talking about himself the whole time. He just, I'm so bad, and I'm this, and I, and I, and I, and I. And I'm not bashing the Musr movement, and I think there's different ways to do Musr, and, you know. But there's something sometimes about when we get down on ourselves, when that comes from a place of, even when it's self-flagellatory, if that's even a, a word, when it's a way of beating ourselves up, it's because we put a little bit too much stock in ourselves. And so the way of tshuva tivis, which is coming from, there's something in my gut that doesn't feel right, it, it, it centers the whole world on me a little bit too much. And so that's why it takes the place, according to some of the students of Rav Kook, at the bottom of the rung of tshuva. So now we'll move, we'll read a little bit inside, enough of me talking, and we'll, we'll read inside a little bit about tshuva emunis, which is the second level. And this could be found um, in the... Approximately fifth paragraph. After, and this is where we get the fun to hear of Cook's language, it's so, so beautiful. After we elevate, after we finish level one and we ascend to the second level of tshuva, which is called tshuva emunis, which is tshuva based on emuna, on faith. So, what is this tshuva emunis? Hichaya ba'olam mimakor ha-mesores v'hadas. Tshuva emunis is something that needs to be received. It's something that we wouldn't necessarily intuit. It has to be commanded. Because as we'll see in a moment, this tshuva is totally, the, the notion of tshuva, even though when I feel there's something wrong, I feel like I need to correct it, that might be true on a physical level, that might be true on an emotional level. But the fact that after I've done something wrong, or after I've lived many years of something that's kind of off, and then I come to the conclusion that maybe I can correct that, it doesn't seem to be intuitive or logical, or it's certainly not obvious, that a person should be able to just go back and correct the past. That tshuva is something that a person can even do, takes a, a bit of emuna. Rav Yitzchak Blazer, a student of Rav Yisrael Salanter. Rav Yitzchak Blazer was the student of Rav Yisrael Salanter. He wrote a book called Kochve Or. So in the Sefer Kochvei Or, he explains how the Gemara describes Am Yisrael when they're coming out of Egypt as being mikatne emuna. They were mikatne emuna. How are they mikatne emuna? That means they were little of faith. How are they little of faith? Because when they were coming out of Mitzrayim, so when they came through the, the Amsof split, and they came through one side of the Amsof, and as they exited the side of the Amsof, so the Gemara says in Meseches Erechin, that the Jewish people said, you know, just like we came through the Amsof, so the Mitzram are also going to come through. That was their reaction. So the Gemara says, we see from here that they were mikatne emuna. Now the simple interpretation of that is that they were mikatne emuna in the sense that they didn't believe that Hashem's promise that he was going to take the Jewish people out of Egypt was going to manifest itself, and that the Egyptians were going to come through on the other side and bring them back to Egypt. That seems to be the simple interpretation. They didn't believe in the havtacha and the promise of Hashem that they were going to be redeemed from Egypt. But Rav Yitzchak Blazer says that, you know what it means that they were mikat ne'emunah? That's what he says. 
He says, Mikane Amuna doesn't mean that they were small in their faith. It means, says Ritzel Blazer, I hope this doesn't mess up your... It says, it means that, imagine you have a, a 100% pie chart. Mikatne Amuna means that there's something called Amuna. This is 100% Amuna. And Mikatne Amuna means that there's one sliver of that pie chart that's missing. They're Mikatne, they're just shy of complete Amuna Shlema. Meaning there was only one small thing that the Jewish people were missing at that point. And what is it that they were missing? They couldn't believe that we, the Jewish people who were just on the 49th level of Toma, now we had this whole big turnabout that Hashem's going to save us and He's not going to... Like the Malachim were saying, we find in Chazal this Lashon of Halalu Ovdei Avodazar Vahalu Ovdei Avodazar. We were worshipping idols, they were worshipping idols. The Jewish people couldn't believe that with the mere turn of just turning our faces from one direction to the next, that would already affect tshuva. Like one of my teachers likes to say, Rabbi Judah Michelle always likes to say that tshuva is not, not so dissimilar to like a Shabbos lamp. You know, the light is on already. It's just about like, you got to turn it to reveal that light on the inside. But it takes a lot of emuna to believe. Okay, that's a very cute idea, but it takes a lot of emuna to believe that I hurt somebody in the past. I did something in the past that is truly embarrassing in terms of my relationship with Hashem. And through an act of turning to Hashem and saying, I'm sorry, I'm forgiven now. That takes a serious amount of emunah. It takes commandedness in order to come to that place. So for example, in the Sefer Mitzil Sisharim, very famously, so the Ramchal writes in the fourth parak of Mitzil Sisharim, Ki fishuras hadin mamish According to the strict letter of the law, when a person does something wrong, there should be no way to really fix it. They should be punished right away. It should be, you know, a fleshedika punishment. You know, it shouldn't be Hashem's like giving us time. And not only that, but the fact, Hashem gives us the exact opposite. That Hashem created the possibility that something which is totally irrational, that I should be able to go back and erase the past, something that I won't read inside for now because I want to get back to Rav Kook, but that the, the Maharal writes in Nesiva Tshuva, in the second parak of Nesiva Tshuva, the Maharal says, can you imagine if such a thing would exist down here in court? You go into a courtroom and the judge says to you, listen, what did you do? And you say, well, let me tell you exactly what I did. But I also want you to know that I admit it and I'm sorry and I'm not going to do it again. So the Maral says, not only in a, you know, a common court, but in, in a halachic court, in the Sanhedrin, if you go into the Sanhedrin and you try to pull that, they're not even allowed to let you off the hook. Meaning, that's not how court works in Jewish law. Anyway, there's two witnesses who come, even if you're, a person can't make themselves for Russia, your own testimony can't be held against you. But your admission, and you're saying, I'm really, 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 really sorry, doesn't undo the chait, because that's sensible. That, that makes a lot of sense. The fact that klape shmaya, there is something called tshuva, necessitates what Rav Kook is describing as mimakor hamusores vahadas. It's something which comes from a masora, from a tradition, from religion. We have to receive this. It's not something that comes from the stomach. It comes deeply from our, from our emuna that Hashem revealed on high that there's something called tshuva. The, the, all the religions of the world, but specifically the Jewish people, because all the great ones are born out of Judaism. Osekes harbi b'tshuva. They're all very deeply into this Indian of tshuva. 
Although there are certain world religions that don't have this concept of tshuva. The Torah makes a promise that when a person comes to Hashem contritely and admits their Avera, he's makabal the tshuva. In fact, there's a very remarkable Pasuk in Tehillim. Pasuk says that Let's think about that Pasuk for a second. We say it all the time, we should maybe think about it. For you, with you, Hashem is slicha, is forgiveness, so that we will we could fear you, so that we could fear you. So the pshat is, and this is the pshat. If you look in the pshat in Farshim on Tehillim, this is what you'll find. meaning getting forgiven doesn't necessarily like the seifa doesn't really fit with the resha of the pasuk, so that I could fear you. So the pshat and Farshim say that. If not for the fact that there was tshuva, if not for the fact that the Torah revealed this concept of tshuva, the natural inclination of a person would be to say, if I messed up, there is nothing I could do to fix it, and very quickly I would end up giving up hope, and I wouldn't fear Hashem, because I would say, listen, I messed up already, what's the point? means now Hashem that you've revealed the concept of tshuva. Now that we have emuna in tshuva, now that we have something to hope in, one of the great Italian writers of the 14th century wrote about, uh, I, I usually abide by the, the principle of the Maharal to, uh, to quote world literature in a, in a, in a general framework. So that he, he wrote largely about uh, what he depicted what, or what he thought uh, in, in rather colorful terms, what he thought the underworld looked like. And one of the inscriptions that he describes that when a person comes to that place of the inferno, written across the top of it is all those who enter... Uh, what is it? Um, abandon all... That's what it is. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Right? Because that's what it is. Because a world without hope is, is that world, is Gehenim. It's a world where if there's no slicha, then there's no reason for me to be afraid anymore of Hashem because I, I already messed up. And now, I might as well just live my life how I want to live it. But once there's emuna, once there's hope, once there's faith, once Hashem has introduced this concept of tshuva, so then, despite the fact that it's irrational, I could put my faith in this remarkable gift called tshuva. And in addition to the fact that there's this feeling in my stomach something is wrong, I now have something to do about it. Because just because I feel like something is wrong doesn't mean that I am convinced that Hashem is going to forgive me. And so therefore, this second shlav is a person who's chai ba'olam mimikor ha'mesoros v'hadas shehosekes harbi b'tshuva. Ha'torah mavticha l'shavei pesha slicha. The Torah promises that people who come back in tshuva will, re- will, will receive slicha, will receive kapara. Chatos ha'yachid v'atzibor nimchai ma'yidei tshuva. It's very clear here what Rav Kook is referring to. The, the, the mistakes, the mis the transgressions, the missteps, so to speak, of both individuals and the tzibor, the Torah says we're capable, we, we could fix them. What's Rav Kook referring to here? I think Rav Kook is referring to the Gemara in Avodah Zarah and Daftalid. The Gemara in Avodah Zarah and Daftalid says that really, David HaMelech and Am Yisrael, neither of them, were really shyach to the Averus that they did. So Machlok is exactly what Averus we're talking about with David HaMelech, we're talking about Bat Sheva, we're talking about 
the fact that David was accused of doing a vodazara, Bikish David Lasis Avodazara. Rashi says actually a vodazara, not the way that most people understand it. But David Amach did something which was unforgivable, think of, presumably. And Am Yisrael by the Chet HaEgel also did something which was pretty, pretty, pretty shocking. And yet, the Gemara says that Hashem allowed David, Shalolafi Tivo, it was not really his darga to do such a thing. And the same thing, Am Yisrael really weren't shaykh to the Chet HaEgel, they had just received the Torah. But Hashem allowed these things to happen, almost as if the Gemara seems to say Hashem pushed these things to happen so as to teach the rest of the world for the rest of world history that chataos hayachid v'hatzibor. That's what the Gemara says. That's why you needed both of them. Because lest one individual come along and say, yeah, but I'm only one person. Everyone else is doing okay, but I did this thing which is unforgivable. So comes along David HaMelech and teaches us even a single individual who steps out of line, there's a way to do tshuva. And lest the person say, yeah, well, one person Hashem can forgive, but our whole nation messes up, how can we do tshuva for that? So Hashem says, well... I have, another, I have another thing for you. I'm going to reveal the mystery of tshuva right away through the giving of the Torah by the Chet Ha'egel. And so therefore, That's something which takes faith and which Hashem gives to us as a gift. The Nevi'im are filled. All the books of the Nevi'im are filled with tochachos and with, because, not because they're trying to just give jabs at the Jewish people, but because there's a haftacha basof, that the Jewish people are going to do tshuva, and that the whole world is going to come back in tshuva. The, the, the Rambam, very famously, and again, all of these things are, are, are as I'm reading Rav Kook to, to look at the shir, to prepare, you know, so I, I pulled these books off the shelf because it's so clear how Rav Kook is alluding to these things. When Rav Kook says that there's a haftacha for tshuva. So the Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva, in the beginning of Hilchus Tshuva, very famously, I think, at, at this point, the Rambam writes that there is no mitzvah of tshuva, there's a mitzvah of vidui. There's a mitzvah to declare what I've done wrong. But tshuva, meaning stopping to do what I did, and kind of like returning, coming back, is not necessarily something that could be commanded. It's something that's a kind of a prerequisite to the tshuva process. Now, there are many people who believe that the reason the Rambam could not command tshuva, and this is what Rav Kook is saying here when he says there's a haftach of tshuva, there's a promise of tshuva, we could put our faith in tshuva, is that since there's a promise of tshuva, since there's a haftach, there's a guarantee of tshuva, so that means that it cannot possibly be placed under the rubric of the 613 mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are something that are chosen. But if there's a guarantee of tshuva, the Rambam is telling us, and Rav Kook is saying it here as well, then tshuva goes beyond commandedness. It goes beyond just a simple command. And granted, there were certain people who believed that tshuva is something which is a command, that there's a commandment of tshuva itself. The Rambam believed that there's a commandment of tshuva. But what the Rambam is teaching us, what Rav Kook is leading us into here, this world of tshuva, is that if we stop thinking of tshuva as something that I need to do, and that it's a revelation that Hashem is giving to us, the fact that it exists is a... It's not to be believed. It's totally, it's totally irrational. The Svas Emma says that the beginning of Meseches Yuma, which is the headquarters of Tshuva, is where the Kohen Gadol is sequestered for seven days to prepare for the Avodah of Yom Kippur. 
So the Sfasem says that if you look in the Gemara there, the Gemara immediately says, this parallels another sequestering of a Kohen for seven days. And there's a whole Amud and a half over there that describes the parallels between Yom Kippur and the Paraduma as well. Before the Paraduma is burned and prepared for the ashes that are going to purify the dead, so the Kohen has to sequester himself for seven days. And afterwards they do that in order to make sure that he's Tahor. And then afterwards they... They bring him out to do the... They actually are matame him first. It's a whole discussion. And then they, and then they do the, the paraduma. What's the connection between Yom Kippur and the paraduma? So at this point, I think we should understand. Because the paraduma is the ultimate chok. It's the ultimate irrational decree. It's a, the paraduma is... It brings people who are soaked with that morishchoro, with that darkness of death, with that finality of death. And somehow, it irrationally cures them of this Toma. And so the Yom Kippur service, which is the headquarters, the nucleus of this tshuva remedy, which does a similar thing to the dead soul, that takes a dead soul and irrationally revives it, is something which takes tremendous emuna. And so to the degree, and this is moving towards the end of this topic of tshuva amunis, to the degree, Rav Kook is teaching us, to sum up this as a, a nugget, a takeaway, something we could take away, to the degree that a person understands that tshuva is not something which is being commanded of us, but that there's something called tshuva amunis, which means to believe that tshuva is something that Hashem gave to us as a gift which we couldn't have possibly fathomed on our own, and to be mamin in tshuva, to the degree that we're mamin in it, that's the degree that we're, we're brought back to life by it to the degree that we stop looking at it as something that, oh, I have to do tshuva. I have to stop doing this bad thing. I have to, I have to start living you know, with a more mindful way of, of using my mouth, or my ears, or my eyes, or my legs, or my hands, or my whatever, or my money, or my time. To the degree that we stop talking to ourselves in that language of, this is something that I have to do, and start speaking in a language of, this is something that I have to believe that it even exists. And Hashem revealed that it exists. It's not something I have to do. This is an unbelievable gift that Hashem gave me. Hashem gave me the opportunity to literally revive myself from the dead. To the degree that we do that, that's the degree that tshuva is going to be effective for us. In this level of tshuva, this tshuva emunis, there is like endless levels. There's endless levels of faith in this, it's a, you know, to believe and to believe again and to believe again. Unfortunately, the, the belief in tshuva kind of works to the degree that I feel distant from Hashem, that's the degree that I need to believe that even here, and the answer is yes, even here, it's possible to do tshuva. Fall into a lower level, even here it's possible to do tshuva because Hashem revealed tshuva to the, to the, to the final degree. And even the klalim, even the, even the, you know, Rav Kook is just setting up the, the, like the paradigms here. We have three different paradigms. So Rav Kook says, even just the, the klalim of tshuva emunis, like the basic parameters, forget about the details of each of the different, how we believe in um, the, the, the different shlavim of emuna in, in tshuva kicking in and, and fixing it. Like the Rambam has prokim in Hilchas tshuva where he talks about the stages of how a person cleans themselves up from a chet. 
Each one of those pratim represents a whole island that needs to be believed in. And he says, if we would be talking about just the klalim, it would take pages and pages and pages, which it's going to take pages and pages and pages. But for now, just to recognize that each of these different paths of cleaning ourselves up, it, it demands faith, and we're fortunate to have faith in it. And finally, and this is the last part of the parak, this will finish the parak. So Rav Kook says the final level of tshuva is called tshuva sichlis. Tshuva sichlis means a tshuva of the intellect. Now, that's a, a hard translation. There's no question in my mind, because Rav Kook was very mulumad in the swarm of the Maharal, and in fact, in Merkaz Harav, um, which is called Merkaz Harav after Rav Kook passed away, but before it was called like the Yeshiva Merkaz Ha'olami. So in Rav Kook's Yeshiva, he had a very strict curriculum, and part of that curriculum was learning Kuzari and learning Maharal. This was like part of the standard curriculum in Rav Kook's Yeshiva. So it's no doubt that when Rav Kook uses the word Seichel here, he uses it in the same way that the Maharal uses the word Seichel. And here he means Seichel as he means Nishama, because that's the way that the Maharal uses it. Seichel equals Nishama. In the same way that for those who are, the Maharal was certainly a Kabbalist, and in the same way that um, those who are more Kabbalistically inclined, although it's printed in the art scroll, which is by no means a Kabbalistic uh, sitter, um, before a person puts on tefillin in the morning, for example, there's printed in the standard art scroll sitter, it's also in any good Nusach Svard sitter for sure, because that's note more to the side of Kabbalah. Uh, there's a L'Shem Yichud. Uh, the same thing is true before uh, Kiddush on Shabbos, and likely, although I've never, well, I've done it twi- uh, three times in my life, um, but lighting Shabbos candles, you know, there may also be L'Shem Yichud. Um, I imagine that there is. So if you look by the L'shem Yuchud for putting on tefillin, which is something that goes on your head, so there's a reference to the Neshama Shebemochi. The Neshama, which is an aspect of revelation, of the, it's part of the five parts of the soul, which are talked about in the Medjish Rabbah. So the Neshama is Bemochi, because the Seichel is the seat, the Moach is the seat of the Neshama. So what is this Tshuva of the Neshama? What is that? So here, just maybe 20 seconds of introduction, then we'll read Rav Cook's words, because I could tell you right now that even though I, I could read the, all the words and I could translate it, Rav Cook sometimes is just, you know, he leaves us uh, a little speechless. So I'm happy to hear what you think it means. And anyone else could read it also. It's, you know, um, but just maybe like a, a 30 second kind of attempt at trying to make a screen that we can, you know, a canvas to paint on uh, to try to understand what he means by the tshuva of the neshama. So I said in the beginning of this year that it seems that the tshuva hasichlis is like a combination of these, of these first two. In other words, if tshuva, of, if this innate tshuva is something that is like a gut reaction, something feels off, and the second level of tshuva is something that needs to be learned, Right? Because I need to believe in it. Someone needs to teach me. The Torah needs to teach me. The Nevim needs to teach me. The Rambam needs to teach me. The Chovos Halavavos needs to teach me. Rabbeinu Yona needs to teach me. All the Svarim need to teach me to believe in this thing because it's totally, it blows my mind that I can actually go in, in, into the past and change it. So once I've climbed those first two ladders, when the two of those come together, you get Shuvah Sichlis. And when I read it inside, hopefully it'll become more clear what I'm saying here. Because eventually what happens in Rav Kook's 
understanding based on earlier sources, is that once I've learned and I've, and I've analyzed and I've somehow ingested this faith in Amuna that comes from books, I've learned the Shari Tshuva of Rabbi Yonah, and I've learned Hilchas Tshuva of the Rambam. And I, and I really know it. I, I, and I, I, I now understand what it means. And not only those uh, books about tshuva, but now that I've also, I don't know, I, I've been around for a little bit and I started to read some books and I have a little bit of a deeper understanding of how much I don't understand how big God is. Like when I was younger, I thought I knew, but now I've learned a little bit and I know, I realize how, just how great Hashem is. And more than that, I realize how unbelievable the mitzvah of shaking a lulav is or what it means to blow a shofar. So now that I've learned all of these things, now that I've studied the Torah, and I've looked into the books of Emuna that teach me about what a mitzvah is, what Hashem is, and what tshuva is, when I put all those together, so then I have tshuva sikhlis. There becomes a gut reaction to, wow, I'm cheating myself so much by not keeping Shabbos properly. It's, a, it's, a, it's an innate reaction. This is more than 30 seconds, I apologize. It's an innate reaction. It, it's something which is deep within my kishkas that I feel. But it's not, you don't have an innate reaction to, oh, you know, like when one of my kids doesn't shake Lula of an esrog one of the days, or they're not in the mood that day, and I, and I make an, an educational decision not to force them to do it, because I'd rather them enjoy doing it three or four times when they're six years old, rather than me force them to do it seven times and be a not pleasant experience. So, you know, so, so when, 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 you, when, you're, when you're four years old, when you're five years old, there's nothing innate about like, oh, if I don't shake the Leuven Esther, like I'm cheating myself out of this amazing experience. Sometimes a person could be 60 years old and they still haven't learned what it really means to shake a Leuven Esther. Or to light Hanukkah candles, or to put a, 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 a pruta in, in its stucco box. But once a person learned and began to have faith in what it means to do a mitzvah, and what it means that I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm commanded by the creator of the universe and what that actually means. And once I understand that all of the shortcomings that I've had until now are fixable because I've learned all of this. So then there's this soul craving, which is so big, which is, it's an intel, that, that's why the word sikhli is actually an appropriate word here. Because now it's Rehrev Kook. That, that maybe we'll understand what Rehrev says with that as a, background, as a backdrop. Hachuva hasichlis. What time is it? Yeah, okay, so maybe we'll maybe we'll pa- let's pause here. We're going to pause here, and yeah, we're going to pause here. I'm very sensitive to this. We're going to pause here, and it's Hashem because it's eight thirty to nine thirty. I think that's like the max maxed out. Next week, you're in Hashem. Nine thirteen. Nine thirteen. I thought you said nine thirty. We're not. No, we're not going to pause here. A few. <laughs> let's 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 finish the parak. We had this big building. Oh, wow. Like, what? Well, it's not like, I mean, I hope we'll all be healthy and well next week. We'll come back. And... But that's, see, now you see how dedicated I am to I'm not holding anyone hostage, you know? 930, 913. Gewaldic. Okay. Hachuva, scratch it from the record. You see, your cook says this. What, what is tshuva sikhlis? What is this tshuva of the soul, this soul craving to want to have the opportunity to light a Shabbos candle one time, to make Kiddush one time? Where does that come from? It's, it's that which is built, it's rachshala et ativis We've already acquired 
the, the Tivis and the Amunis. So and now the two of those come together and it builds this thing called Tshuva Sichlis. Shekfar Baal Lemadrega Helyono. We've already come to this highest level. Asher Lorak Tsar Gufani. It's not just that rumbling in my stomach that, ooh, I ate something, or I ate too much of something, that I, I shouldn't have eaten that thing. It's okay that I ate that thing, but I ate too much of that thing. O nafshi or ruchani, or I feel something which is, again, nafshi and ruchani, not neshama. Neshama is sikhli. That's what I was saying. That's that final level. I feel something nafshi and ruchani here means emotional. There's something emotionally disturbing. That's, that's the first level. That's the tshuva tivis. And it's not just the faith in tshuva that I get by learning about what tshuva is, but after learning about what tshuva is and what Torah is and what the Rabbon Shalom is, still in that, not just from the Masorah that I received by learning about tshuva from books, whether I'm studying books from you know, the 1100s like, like, like Orchas Tzadikim, which is anonymously written, we're not sure who, who wrote it, uh, that talks, you, you read the, the chilek of tshuva in Orchas uh, or, or Tzadikim, and it's like, if you spoke Lashon Hara, so you should take, like, dirt and, like, put it in your mouth, and, like, if you did this, then you should lie on an anthill and let the ants crawl over you. Like, Mamish's stuff is in, in, you know? Agav, I have to say this, that the Belzer Rebbe was once teaching Orchas Tzadikim to, like, a group of Hasidim for, like, an extended period of time. After a few weeks, they were learning this tshuva part, that's what he was teaching them. Dafka, that section of Orchus Sadikim. And one of, the, one of the chassidim said to the Rebbe, uh, it was the Sar Shalom of Bells, if I'm not mistaken, the story. And one of the chassidim said to the Rebbe, Rebbe, this is like not shaykh for us. Like, this is like, this is crazy. This is like, we can't, we can't handle this. So the Bells Rebbe said to him such a beautiful thing. And the Bells Rebbe said to him, he said, you know why we're learning this? He said, I totally forgot to tell you why we're learning this. He said, the whole reason we're learning this is because I want you to know that this, was, this book was written in like the 1100s. In the 1100s, it was so hard to do an Avera. And because it was so hard to do an Avera, you see how hard it was to do tshuva? The whole reason I'm teaching this is because I, I, I know that you know, and, and you know that I know, that we're living now in the 1800s, in the late 1700s. And it's then already for him, and Kalva Homer for us, it's so easy for us to do, it's after the Haskalah already, you know, like, it's so easy for us to do an Avera. You don't want to be a Jew? You want to go and you want to go off to Thailand or something? It's so easy. So I want you to know that just like it's so easy to do an Avera, it's so easy to do tshuva. I'm showing you that it's, it was so hard to do tshuva back then because it was so hard to do an Avera. But today it's so easy to do an Avera. It's so easy to do an Avera. So it's so easy to do tshuva. So whether it's mipachara onesh, like you're reading from the Orch Tzadikim or something like that, or something that you took deep inside of your soul from understanding what tshuva really is or how important it is to do tshuva based on this faith-based tshuva. That also causes tshuva. It's not either of those things. Ki'im, rather, what it is, is a hakara brura. Again, it is a hakara. Hakara, the implication of a hakara is, I just, I see it, I recognize it. I know it, I feel it, I see it. Because I've studied and because I know what it means to be a Jew or a Jewess, and because I know how lucky I am to be in this place, not only because I feel it in, inside, and not only because I study, but the two of those together, this comes from a worldview, a way of looking at the world, which is complete. 
אשר עולסו למעלסה אחרי אשר התפקיד הטבעי והמוני כבר רשמו בה יפס רשימסו. This comes to me after the teva, the nature of being a Jew, and the emuna of learning what it means to be a Jew, have come and they've made their indelible mark on me. When the two of those come together, so then, not living up to my potential hurts because I see how sweet it really is. And that's tshuva sikhlis. Tshuva zu, this final level of tshuva, hakalula mehakdomos, which is inclusive of the earlier ones, himale kfar or ein kates. This level of tshuva, unlike the other two, is an infinite level of tshuva. This is a tshuva, which we'll have to discuss this later, but I'll, I'll say it now anyway. This tshuva, Rav Kook is going to talk, talk to us about it, this tshuva is even after we leave the world. It's the, it's the tshuva of olam haba. It's the, this, it's, what's olam haba? Olam haba means the world that is coming. It's, olam haba is a continuous tshuva process where every step is just sweeter and sweeter and sweeter because I'm further and further actualizing my potential. It's olam haba because it's what's coming immediately after the second. Whatever is this second comes another second, comes another second, where I'm just getting closer and closer to actualizing my potential because every moment is a new revelation of well, that's what Hashem is. That's even bigger than I thought. That's what it means that I did those mitzvos. It's even bigger than I thought. And then the pleasure becomes bigger, which allows me to have a deeper understanding of what those things are, which gives me even more reason to want to do even better. And that's the pleasure of the world to come. Tshuva zu is ein kates. It's an or ein kates. It is never ending. Tshuva is not for Rishayim. Tshuva is for tzaddikim also. Tshuva is not only for living people. It's for people who are already past the world. It takes even our demerits and turns them into merits. It turns all of our, this is obviously quoting the Gemara in Yuma, Reish Lakish. It takes all of our mistakes and it turns them into limudim nisgavim, into great teachings. And from all of our fallings, our stumblings, alios nehadaros, into great elevated uh, states. This is the tshuva that all of our eyes, that the whole world's eyes, are looking up towards. Tshuva is not something that we're looking down at, but it's something that we're looking up at, and it's, it's our hope. It's, the, it's, it's what we're, we're relying on. At the end of the day, it's what we're placing all of our hope in. But what we're looking for, and we say, we know that in the end there's a haftacha, that the world is, is, is getting better. As much as a person could look at the world and say it's getting more and more complicated, it's complicated, but if we believe it's getting better and it will ultimately become fully good, that's the hope of the whole world. And that comes from a combination of instinct and learning about what it actually means to do something good. Because if a person really believed what it means to keep one Shabbos, they would recognize that one Shabbos is so powerful it blows away any darkness that exists in the world. It's just because we don't know what Shabbos is, so we don't know how to keep it properly. If we knew what one word of Torah is, Tamtar keneged kulamis, keneged all the 613 mitzvahs. If we knew what one word of Torah was, it would just blow away all, any darkness in our lives. We would just be completely obliterated by it. But it takes a lot of the tshuva amunis to learn exactly what that is. Shehi mochreches levo v'shesofa levo. It must come and it will come. So I'll just end with a story uh, from Rav Sadia Gon. Rav Sadia Gon taught us about this level of tshuva sikhlis in a beautiful story. Rav Sadia Gon one time was traveling um, and apparently, at least as this story goes, Rav Sadi Gon also had followers that were akin to the, to the Hasidim who would like, follow the Rebbe wherever they went. So Rav Sadi Gon wanted a little bit of time alone, and he tried to sneak out in the middle of the night. And some of his students weren't going to have it. So they 
decided once they realized that the Rebbe left in the middle of the night, when they came in the morning and they thought he was gone, you know, they knocked on the door and the Rebbe didn't answer. He said he, he left for some, he, he needed a day, you know. He needed like some time alone. Uh, no shear today, guys. So, um, so they said, no, yes, shear today. And they, you know, they figured out a way to try to track him down. So they hired some sort of traveling arrangements, whatever was available, I guess, in that time. And they started tracing after Rafsadio and asking people, have you seen, have you seen you know, a chariot that looks like this with a man who looks like this? And they were chasing him down for, for a few hours. And um, it turns out that Rafsadio was taking more than a day. So at some point, it was starting to get dark. Now, Rafsadio decided he was going to stay a night you know, uh, at, the, at the spa. You know, he's going to take a, a night off. He's going to go to Krumim for the night. And uh, so he stayed in a particular inn. The next morning he got up, and these chavr also were chasing him. They also had to stop in the middle of the night. They didn't get to stay in an inn. They stayed on the side of the road. So the story goes. And the next morning, they continued their chase. They traced Rasadi going to the inn. And when they came to the inn, the innkeeper said, they said, was there a person here who looked like this and he was traveling in this kind of carriage? And da, da, da. They said, yeah. They said, that was our Rebbe. That was Rav Sadyagon. So the innkeeper said, that was Rav Sadyagon? I just thought it was some, you know, I didn't know who, I thought it was some regular rabbi. I didn't know who he was. He said, I, I didn't do anything wrong, but like I would have given him the presidential treatment, you know, I would have given him. So he said, I'm joining you guys. He gets in the wagon and they start to, they start to, you know, chase after Rav They finally catch up to Rav Sadigon. Now the Talmudim catch up to Rav Sadigon. This guy jumps off the way. He throws himself at Rav Sadigon's feet. And he says, Gadol Hador, Rav Sadigon. You know, like the, the, the Gadol Hagadolim. If I would have known it was you, I would have like, you know, breakfast would have been different. The, the, the bedroom that you stayed in would have been with different sheets. You know, like it would have been. So Rav Sadigon said, no, no, it's okay. And then Rav Sadigon stopped for a second. And all of a sudden, Rosadigon just burst out crying. And now, you know, everyone was like, and here's the last line, and this will end the share. Rosadigon said, he said, you know, isn't it the same way with us and the way that we're, we are with Hashem? He said that today when I put on tefillin, it can't be that a whole day passed and I don't have like a deeper appreciation of like, ah, that's who you are, Hashem. Now, today I understand, and certainly after a year or two years or five years, every few years, it has to be a person understands who Hashem is a little bit better, or what a mitzvah is a little bit better if we're learning. If we're learning even Mishnah Bura, we know a little bit more what a, what a mitzvah is, whatever the mitzvah is that we're learning about. Rav said, if, imagine, I put on tefillin this morning, and I should have turned to Hashem, and I should have said, Hashem, if I knew who you were yesterday, and I knew what tefillin were yesterday, I wouldn't have put them on the way that I did. I'm so sorry that I put, I put on tefillin yesterday. I mean, he did a mitzvah, yeah, he put on tefillin. If I would have known who you are and what tefillin are yesterday, like I know now, I never would have put them on like that. I would have done it in a way that's just totally different. And that's what tshuva sikhlis is. That's the, high, that's the heights of tshuva. The tshuva where it's not, I'm bad, but it's, that's how great Hashem is. That's how great it is to be a Jew, and that's how I have to do it. So Hashem should help us, that we should be zilchah to all the levels of tshuva, tshuva tivis, tshuva emunas, tshuva sikhlis, and in that way we will merit the Gula Shlem of Amitus Mehr Bin Amen and continue to do Chuva at Mehr Vesem Shana and beyond. Shkoyim.